0: We all know that there are uh, all kinds of religions out in the world uh, that have different positions, different perspectives, different philosophy, different theology uh, than what we as Christians do, you know than what's under the Protestant umbrella. Uh, there are a lot of different schools of thought, different religious. Uh, bodies out in the world. And some of those are obvious, some of those are blatant. You know, you don't have to wonder, uh, is this true or is this false? I mean, it's it's pretty clear uh, how completely off-base it is from, from the reality of God's Word. But there are others that are not quite so blatant. There are examples of differing religions that are just enough like authentic Christianity that can make many, many people pause and, and question uh, whether or not it really is off base. You know, there's, there's a lot of different um, opportunities that we have to, to weigh out whether something is true or false uh, that we are exposed to or that we hear about or people that we know that are part of a different religion. And sometimes it's harder uh, than others to determine whether or not it actually is true, and what is true, and, and what is false. You know, there's um, people like the, the Mormons and Jehovah's Witness who will absolutely identify as Christians. If you ask, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you follow Christ? Are you a Christian? They would say, well, yeah, of course, of course. In fact, the Mormons and Jehovah's Witness, they both feel that they are the truest example of what it means to be a Christian, that they are the true church, that uh, everything else is corrupt, you know, and that they are the restoration of what true biblical Christianity looks like and what it should be like. And they use the Bible. I mean, they hold up the Bible as, as uh, one of their most important documents. I say one of because they also have extra biblical literature and information that they hold up just as high, if not higher. But but it gets a little confusing sometimes. If you're not careful, if you don't have a discerning mind, if you don't really know what God's Word says cover to cover and everything in between, if you're not in that Word and allowing it to inform you, it's it's easier than we might think to be led astray and to actually think, you know what, I think they're probably okay. Maybe they're just a different version of, of the Christianity that I practice. And that's what a lot of people think, and that's what particularly the Mormons and Jehovah's Witness would like for all of us to think and to consider and to decide is, is true, that they're really just like us, they just kind of do things a little bit differently. And it's it's groups like that, and there are other examples, that are harder to tell from groups that are obviously totally opposite of God's Word, totally opposite of what it means to be a Christian. Things like um, uh, Muslims, you know, the Islamic groups that we have that are out there, many of them uh, differing from one another, but still under the umbrella of, of Islam, um, Hinduism, yeah, Shintoism, those things are, are very obviously totally opposite of what it means to be a Christian. And in all of these things, we have to ask ourselves, as we are in this world, but not of it, we have to ask ourselves, what is true and what is false? Every time that we are confronted with a different religion, or we uh, know someone who is of a different religion, and we have conversation with them, as we listen to them and consider what they have to say and what they believe, the question has to come down to what we've been asking through this whole series what is true and what is false. And as I'm hearing information and as I'm being confronted with different things, what about this is true and what about this is false? And as I said from the very beginning, our measurement for all of that is the timeless, objective Word of God. That's always where we come back to. And as we wrap up our series today, um, I want us to consider why we cannot coexist with all the other religions that are out there in the world, Uh, ones that are maybe more like what we believe as as Christians, as followers of Christ, and ones that are completely, blatantly, totally opposite. All of that uh, is something that we're going to have to come to terms with uh, in our world, and the whole coexist idea that you've probably seen from time to time on bumper stickers or uh, advertisements or signs or something is that we should all just come together. That there's really no one group that has the monopoly on truth. You know, your truth, it's good for you, it's working for you, great. I have truth that works for me, and you should accept it just as I accept your truth. And I should, I should be willing to be open to your beliefs and cherish them and honor them and respect them. Even if I don't hold to them, I shouldn't in any way look at your set of beliefs as being less accurate or less true than mine. And, and that we should all have that mentality. That we should all just come together as one, you know, just pursue harmony, pursue peace, pursue goodwill and and if if my religious philosophy differs from yours that's okay as long as you're pursuing truth and whatever that means to you and, and however you pursue it just be sincere in it you know be consistent and I'll do the same and as long as we're pursuing that truth in sincerity as long as we're pursuing harmony together as long as we're pursuing Peace on earth with mankind and we're we're trying to operate with goodwill towards one another that's what matters so let's just tear down these walls and let's just come together and embrace one another let's learn from each other and let's just kind of view religion and philosophy and theology always like this great big buffet you know you you take what you want I'll take what I want if you don't like something that's okay just leave it to the side that's really what's wrapped up in this concept of, of coexisting. And as I have here on the slide for this, for our title of the message today, you see that the, the word coexist has always been made up of major world religions, their, their symbols, their emblems to spell out the word coexist. And humanly speaking, just naturally speaking, that concept sounds good you know like that's positive and that's cheery and and it sounds optimistic just humanly speaking just on the surface and you know in in some ways that'd be nice if it could work that way if it, if it was true that we could all just completely come together and universally accept one another and and just all partner up and and go forward. I mean, in some ways, yeah, that'd be kind of nice. But it's just not possible. And it's just not reality. And it can't happen. That is not the type of philosophy that we, as Bible-believing Christians, followers of the one Savior, it's not what we pursue. We can't. We can't have that mindset. And when I say that we cannot coexist, please understand, please hear me and believe that I'm not talking about acting with animosity or hatred toward people that are not Christians, that don't follow our Savior, that don't um, believe that, that the Bible is truly God's Word, uh, that hold to a whole different set of beliefs. I'm not saying that we, we react uh, hatefully toward them or in spite of I'm not saying that we can't coexist because we who are Christians are somehow just superior from everyone else in the world. You know, that we, we just have it all figured out, we have it all together. That's not what I'm saying at all, and I would never advocate that. We do need to treat everyone with respect. We need to treat people with dignity. We need to show kindness and compassion and the love of Christ to people. But none of that means that we agree with or embrace any set of doctrine or theology or teaching that contradicts or is outside of God's word and that is contrary to what Jesus Christ himself revealed to be true. And though there are many reasons present in the religions like Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and Taoism and Shintoism and all of the other isms that I could mention. There's all sorts of reasons why we cannot coexist with those ideologies. But what it really comes down to, what it all comes down to, what everything hinges on, what everything rises and falls on, is what all the other religions... Do with the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what everything comes down to. There's a lot of other uh, specifics within all the hundreds and hundreds of of different religions that are out there uh, that are huge warning signs, that are huge reasons why... I, as a a follower of Jesus Christ, cannot partner up with those things, and I can't accept those things as true, and and I can't just run with that. There's all sorts of reasons. But the anchor of it all revolves around the person of Jesus. Who do they believe him to be? What do they say he did? What was his importance? That's the the ultimate line of questioning that we have to apply to every person. Religion that we might come across. Jesus himself understood that and wanted his followers to understand that, that it all hinges on him, that all of life hinges around him. And so he asked an important question before he went to the cross. The end of his life, he was with his disciples and they were making their way to Jerusalem where he would be arrested and tried and ultimately where he would go to the cross. And as they're journeying along, he asks a really important question. that question is found in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, verse 13. The Word of God says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is who do people say that the son of man is that that title son of man that was the title that jesus uh, used for himself to designate his role as messiah it was his mediatorial office it was him as the incarnate son of god the messiah the savior the mediator between god and man and he said, you know, guys, you're, you're out there among the people even more than I am. You hear what they're saying. You know what they're talking about. What are people saying about me? Who do people say that, that you hear that I am? What are people talking about? We've been at this a while now. You know, they've seen miracles. They've heard my teaching. Everywhere we go, there's a crowd. What are people talking about as it relates to me and to my ministry and to my mission here? What are people saying about me? Because people were saying a lot about Jesus. He was always an enigmatic figure. People couldn't quite figure him out. They couldn't decide whether he was the real deal or whether he was a really good con artist. The religious leaders certainly didn't know what to do with him. People you know, hung, hung on every word or they despised every word. There was question all the time about who he really was and what he was really all about, what he was really here to do. And that's always been the case and it always will be. Everyone always has to reconcile in their minds who Jesus Christ is and what he is including all the world religions, even those that don't accept Christ as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the Son of God, still have to somehow account for Him in all of their religious thought, in all their philosophy. And they spend time doing that. And they're very quick to say, we don't embrace Jesus as Messiah, as Lord and as Savior. Here's who He is. Here's what He really was all about. Here's how we define Him. But they can't leave him alone. They have to somehow define him. They have to somehow put him in a box, somewhere, somehow, in some way. And here's the response to Jesus' first question. They replied, verse 14, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So the prevailing philosophy that the disciples are hearing about Christ, what's being said in, in a general way, is that he's one of the revered prophets from old. That, uh, one of the ones who has died, including most recently John the Baptist, who everybody knew you know, was dead, had been killed by Herod. So, But what they're saying is, Jesus, they think that you are one of the older prophets, or maybe John the Baptist... Come back. You know, kind of manifested again in you. Maybe, maybe you're Elijah. He's a pretty revered prophet, right? Pretty famous. Maybe you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets that, that came throughout history. They accept that you're a prophet from God. That they really believe that. There's not much question about that. They just think that you're probably one of the old prophets that have died that have somehow been reincarnated. Or resurrected in in you. You're the manifestation now of one of the the prophets of old. So they they honor you. They think you're pretty important, but really most of the opinion is limited to one of those those prophetic offices. And that is more often than not what the the religions of the world do. Uh, what the what we would consider the opposing religions to Christianity. Uh, For example, Islam considers Jesus as a revered prophet. In fact, their name for him is honored prophet or revered prophet or, or Jesus, the prophet of God, on him be peace. They accept that he is a very important prophet. In fact, that next to Muhammad, they believe he is the most important prophet under Muhammad. They even believe that he was virgin born. They accept that. They accept that he ascended into heaven. They will even say he will return one day. So, you know, they'll they'll say, yeah, Jesus, oh, we we revere Jesus, we honor Jesus. He, He definitely is a prophet of God. Hinduism accepts that Jesus was a prophet of God. And a holy man and a wise teacher to be listened to. Buddhism, the same, that he is an enlightened one to listen to and to hold on to his teachings and honor as as a sent one from God. The Mormonism and and Jehovah's Witness will say that he's not just a prophet, that, that he really is a son of God. They won't go so far as to say the exclusive son of God, they'll, they'll say that he is what all of us can be, that he just reached that perfection first, that, that he understood what it, it was to be God, that's what uh, most of the religions uh, teach and uh, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness teach that he kind of originated with God and that he, well the Mormons teach that he kind of bested Satan, that he, he contested with Satan and, and came out ahead and, and that's why he was able to be the savior of the world, he kind of beat Satan out of that. Um, And so there's all these different things that, that try to lift up Jesus and honor Him as a prophet or as a great teacher or an enlightened one to listen to and to follow. But they all come up short of honoring Him properly, of honoring Him accurately as the unique Son of God, as the Lord of all the universe. And so, the type of things that the original uh, community around Jesus were saying, as far as him being one of the prophets, that really hasn't changed. Throughout history, throughout the ages, many of the different religions that you can search for on the internet, or meet someone that holds to uh, that particular line of thought, they're going to be able to agree that he is someone special that he's someone significant, that he's someone to listen to and to pay attention to. But most of the time, they'll limit him to being just another prophet. Well, as Jesus heard that answer, he asked them then another question, and it's the most important question. In verse 15, he says this, Okay, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I hear what they're saying about me. How about you? But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And that is the most important question, because it's that question that is before every single human being that will ever live or that has ever lived. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? What do you say about him? Is he to you just another prophet in a long line of prophets? Is he a really good moral example? Is he a really wise teacher? Did he reach enlightenment and realize how to become a god just before all of us? And so if we follow his example, we'll become deified too. That's what a lot of the world's population does believe. Or, as you come face-to-face with Jesus over and over again all throughout life, which you will, because, like it or not, he is the central person of all of history. He is the central figure of all time and always will be. So at some point, every person's going to have to reconcile with him. They're going to have to deal with him in some way in some form. And maybe a person decides he's none of those things. In fact, he's just a myth. He's just a historical figure. And maybe some of what is said about him we can follow, but I really have no use for this person named Jesus. Maybe that's where you're going to land. Maybe you were there before. Maybe you know people who operate that way. The truth of the matter is, if... We don't come to the same answer that Peter did, which we're going to look at in just a second. If we don't give what was the absolute right answer, then none of the other possibilities could ever possibly work. If the answer that is given is not what Peter himself said, then there is no way he could be a good anything. There's no way he could be a prophet of any worth or value. There's no way he could be a wise teacher. There's no way he could be an enlightened man. There's no way he could be a good moral guide. There's no way he could be a source of instruction or wisdom or hope or light or any of that if he is not absolutely and only what Peter himself said as he gave the right answer to the question, Who do you say I am? Here's what the right answer was. Matthew sixteen sixteen. Simon Peter answered. Ah, oh, you've got to love Peter. Here's one of those times where his bluntness and speaking quickly actually paid off and was right. He often inserted sandal into mouth, just like all of us do, which is one reason I love Peter so much. But in this particular example, and for the few moments that it happened, he got it right. Here's what he said. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The significance of that is that Peter didn't say, You are a Messiah. Jesus, you're you're one of the deliverers from God like we've seen all throughout our history, like we saw the judges come and deliver us from the oppressing enemy. You're you're just like Moses who led us out of Egypt and led us up to the promised land and gave us the law. You're you're special, Jesus. You're, You're a Messiah. You're a sent one from God. That's not what he said. He said, you're the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. In other words, Jesus, you are the unique and exclusive promised one. You're the one all the prophecies have been about throughout all the centuries. You're the one that all the Scripture has pointed to. You are uniquely God's very Son in a way that no one else could ever be. You have His very nature. And in other words, what he was saying is, Jesus, you are very God. You are the Divine One. You are Emmanuel. You are God before us. You are God in the flesh here among us. And you are the promised and the ultimate God deliverer. You're the the divine Messiah that's been promised and prophesied. That's who you are. None could ever be anywhere close to what you are, Jesus. You're par excellence. You're the superior one. That's what Peter was saying. That's what was wrapped up in that statement, that confession. And in response, Jesus says, that's exactly right. Good, Peter. Good. Yes, you've got it. And Peter, you need to understand that truth that you just communicated, that truth that that you believe, that you've accepted, and that you've just confessed and proclaimed, you need to understand that didn't come from you, Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. You You didn't come on that truth on your own, and you didn't get that from someone else. My Father in heaven has given that truth to you, Peter. He has opened your eyes to that truth. He has awoken your heart to that truth and that reality. Blessed are you, Peter, for my Father in heaven has revealed that to you. And church, understand, that is always how it works. That is always how it works, and that's always how it will work. Jesus himself said, No one knows the Father save the Son, and whom the son chooses to reveal him, the Bible says that no one comes to the son, excuse me, unless the Father draws him. we, we, can't, we can't make such a statement of Jesus on our own. That has to be something that, that God works in our hearts, that God reveals to us, that God gives us with the very faith to accept. And that's what happened in, in Peter's life. And the question before all of us, and before all that we come in contact with is, is that true of you? Can you say, and do you say, about Jesus that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God? The reason that that is such an important truth to accept is because of what Peter himself said later, uh, after this confession... Uh, I wish that, that we all could say that Peter just kept riding that wave, you know, but he didn't. In fact, just a few minutes later, in this same dialogue, when Jesus says, hey, we're getting ready to go to Jerusalem. And I'm warning you, what I've been saying all along is about to happen. It's coming. I'm going to be turned over to the the wicked men of the city. I'm going to be turned over to the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees. They're going to arrest me. They're going to to beat me and torture me. They're going to put me on trial, and they're going to kill me. That's what's awaiting us. And Peter, he said, I don't think so. (laughs) Not if I have anything to do with it. No, you'll never do that, Jesus. I mean, (laughs) here he is. Just saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're the promised When you're the son of the living God. You are God in the flesh, but I'm going to prevent you from going to the cross. To which Jesus, after saying, well done, Peter, good job, Peter, had to say, get out of my way, Satan. And we all know Peter eventually even denied that he even knew Jesus, right? And Peter was so far from perfect, which is why he's so good for us. Because after he was restored by Jesus, he went on to be a pioneer of the early church. And when he was arrested and put on trial by the same men that put Jesus on trial and put him to the cross, that put him to death, he, with John... After they asked him, why do you keep speaking the name of Jesus after we've told you not to? Why, after we have threatened you with imprisonment and beaten you, do you still disobey us and go on preaching the gospel all around? Pointing everybody to Jesus, saying he is God come in the flesh. That he rose again. That he is the only way to salvation. Peter, why do you keep saying that? Just stop. And his response in Acts 4.12 is why he couldn't stop. It's why he said, no, there's no other answer but Jesus. There's no other person I can point people to for salvation. There's no other person that I can point people to to really know who God is and to know him personally, to have a relationship with him as father instead of judge. I can't stop speaking the name of Jesus because there's no other name to speak. Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's why Peter couldn't compromise. That's why he was compelled to keep saying the name of Jesus as the name of salvation, the name of life. Because there's no one else to point to. He was it. God didn't Ever give anyone multiple choice here? There's only one answer to the question. And Jesus being the answer to the question of salvation, it also means he is the answer to all of life's questions, all of the questions in life, all of the questions that every person, you, me, and everyone out there has about life, about why we're here and what purpose we have, and is there a God, and is there a a possibility to know hope and to have a reason for living, and, and then is there anything beyond this life? All of life's questions find their answer in Jesus. He's the only answer. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, when he answered Philip's question as far as uh, where are you going and, and just show us the way. Show us the Father, Jesus, and, and that'll be enough for us. If you're going ahead of us and we're not going to see you and we can't follow you, just at least show us the Father. And Jesus said, Philip, come on, man. How long have I been with you? How long have you heard me say over and over and over again? I and the Father are, are one. I'm not the Father, but I am of the same exact nature and substance and character as the Father. So if you've, if you've seen me and you've heard from me, you've seen and heard from the Father. And then he says this in John fourteen six. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, no one can know God personally. No one can have a relationship with him personally, as father, instead of judge. No one can, can know what it is to live forever with God, apart from me. I am the way to God, the only way to God. I am the only truth about God and about all of life. And I am the only source of eternal life after you leave this life, and the source of abundant life during this life. Jesus said, I'm it. And so, you know, when we, when we have all this, this pressure, which is increasing, not decreasing, by the way, from the world's religions to say, oh, no, no, that's just too inclusive. Oh, no, that's, that's too narrow. You're, you're limiting and cutting off everyone else from, from any type of claim to truth. And, and who are you to do that? Who are you to say that you have the only truth and that your truth is the absolute truth? How arrogant. How bigoted. You know that you're hearing that all throughout our world and that's going to be increasing that, that message and that pressure and that accusation. And the answer really is, well, yeah, I mean, it's exclusive, excuse me, in terms of its philosophy, but it's inclusive in the way that anyone who comes to the point of realizing that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only answer, whether you were Buddhist or Muslim or Hindu or Shinto or Jehovah's Witness or Mormon, if you were any of those things, if you are any of those things, the door to real And eternal life is still open to you through the one way, the one truth, the one life. So yeah, the means is pretty exclusive. But the door is open wide. All who come will be received. All who enter will be able to come through. And that, my friends, that is why we cannot just coexist with all these other religions out there, with all these other schools of thought and all these other philosophies and theologies and all these different perspectives. It's not because we just have all the right answers in and of ourselves. It's not because we've reached reached some higher plane of existence. It's not because we're just that good and we're that smart and they're not. It's none of that. The reason we can't coexist with all those other people in terms of spirituality is because their answer for Who do you say I am? Is not the only right answer that there is. Their answer is something completely opposite of what Jesus himself gave as the answer. Their answer is completely opposite of what all of the word of God points to as the answer. It's because of what they have done or what they have not done with the person and work of Jesus. And that's what everything comes down to. It's what it all hinges on. because of that, it makes what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6.14 so important to believe and to apply and to, to walk by. Here's what he said. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Think of, think of like a, a team of oxen under the same yoke. You know, they're, they're bonded together. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Why, Paul? Well, he tells us. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And the obvious answer is none, right? What Paul is saying here is not, don't ever speak to anybody that's outside of Christ. He's not saying, don't ever have a conversation and a dialogue with someone who is an unbeliever. He's not saying don't ever be friends with someone who is outside of Christ. It's not anything that he's saying here. He's not saying treat all those other people with absolute contempt. Shun and scorn everyone who is not of Christ. That's not what he's meaning here by saying don't be unequally yoked and what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, what fellowship has light with darkness. What he's talking about here is being discerning and understanding that while we should treat all mankind with respect and with kindness and with the love of Christ as people who like us are, have been fearfully and wonderfully made by a sovereign, perfect creator. All that's true. But we have to understand that the type of people that we enter into exclusive and deep committed relationships with and fellowship with and partnership with will always, always influence and impact our lives. We will always be defined in some way by the company we keep and by the relationships we have. And so what the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying is be careful about how deep you go in your relationship with people that are not believers. Understand that there has to be a line drawn in the sand. In fact, there has to be many lines drawn in the sand. There has to be a time where we plant a flag and we don't move it. And as I said all throughout this message, ultimately that comes down to who they say Jesus is. And what they do with him. And if their answer about the person and the work of Jesus differs from the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus, then you have to be very, very careful and very limited in the level of relationship you have. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, we need to be willing, Christians, to engage those people. Wherever they are, we need to be willing to invite them into our lives with discernment, but still invite them in. We have to be willing to let down the drawbridge of our castle. We have to be willing to bridge the moat, you know? The answer is not monasticism. Hold up in our own little, our own little world, our own little bubble, our own little shell, our own little castle. No, engage them. Have conversation with them, have dialogue with them, invite them in to a certain extent into your life. But do so with caution and wisdom and discernment with the leading of the Spirit, the direction of the Spirit, and being completely equipped and empowered with the Word of God. Which leads me to the last truth that I want to make sure you hear from Scripture on this whole concept and conversation it all comes down to this. First Thessalonians five twenty one, but test all things. That's weigh weigh all things. That's look closely, look look deeply. It's like taking a a stone and looking at it at all angles, looking at the cut and the symmetry, and you know, like a diamond, and determine is this a cubix or is this a real diamond. Is this gold or is this fool's gold? It's testing and weighing and examining and discerning all things. The things that are blatantly obviously false and things that maybe are more subtle that just that sound really really close to the truth that you've always held on to. And even things that people that you can trust say. People like myself and, and other teachers that you might listen to and read and, and follow and respect. It's testing all things like the Bereans did to see if these things are really so. And as you weigh and sift out the dirt and the dross, hold on to what is left. Hold on to what is good. That's what, is, what this is saying here. Test all things Weigh and discern and sift all things through the lens of God's Word, through the Spirit of God, and what remains, hold on to it. Don't let it go. Don't compromise. Stand firm. All through our life and all through the world, we're going to be inundated with things that force us to ask the question and answer the question is this true or is this false? We're always going to find the answer in the word of God. It's timeless. It's, it's always relevant. It's always objective. And it will always point us to the living and eternal word, which is Jesus himself. We need to be people of truth, church. Increasingly so, as our society continues to be the complete opposite of that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Your word is truth. Your son, Jesus, said that. And he asked that we would be sanctified by your word, which is truth. And you left us your Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, who will guide us into all truth. May we follow his lead. May we embrace his discerning work in our lives. Help us to be willing to stand firm on your truth, to not compromise. Help us to be willing to reject this unrealistic, unbiblical concept of coexisting with all the other religions and all the other examples of false truth, not because we hate the people that are part of them, but because we recognize that if anything is in contradiction to your word, if anything is opposite, Of Jesus and who he said he was, and what Peter so rightly said about him, then no matter how it's packaged, no matter how good it looks or sounds or seems, it is not the truth and must therefore be rejected. Thank you that you didn't give us a lot of different choices to have to weigh through and agonize over which is true, which is true, which is true, which one's right. You made it very clear for us. Look no further than my Son. Look no further than Jesus. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. And only Him. You want to know me? You want to come to me? You want to know life in me forever? Come to my Son, Jesus. Thank you for giving us only one answer. And thank you for by your Spirit leading us to accept that answer for those of us who have if there's someone here who has not yet come to the place of that decision where they look to jesus and say yes he is the only savior he is the way to god he is the truth about god and he is life in god and only him if they've not come to that decision if they've not answered the question who do you say i am with the answer peter gave with the answer your word gives then please let today, let right now, be the time where they answer that question correctly. I pray all of these things in the matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.